Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm man, woman, cat, <laughs> Cialis Chipotle. You know, we should make one. That would be perfect Cialis. I think you would remember Cialis, though, don't you think? And probably Oh, so I remember it almost every other day. I know. Oh, my God. I don't even want to talk about it. It's crazy. It's crazy. I just bragging. sit in the bathtub taking ED drugs. You do? You do know. you think you'd pass that test? Have you taken that test? You know, I've taken it a lot. Oh, I, I would so not pass it. I left yeah. yesterday. I'm out of Montauk, and I yeah. go down to this this fancy hotel, Gurney's, and I have breakfast there every morning. And yesterday, got up, came home, and realized I hadn't paid. Oh, what do you think um, you are? Who are you? Like, you just walk away? Is that, did you do that with conversations? <laughs> you just leave the conversation without saying goodbye? I eat alone. I was. No, you think you're That's in an Uber. You constantly think you're in an Uber. Just get out. I got out of a cab the other day. He's like, you know, I'm not an Uber. 100%. That, that's a different thing. That's you, yeah. like life is. A, that would be great if life was an Uber. You just get out. Of, you just leave all the time. Just that like, would be great if life go. was an Uber. Yeah. Huh. In that regard, otherwise, not for the workers, but like you, like the whole thing with the Amazon stores where you walk out and they, it's hard for you know, just take something and leave. It just, I kind of, I like that idea. Yeah, we're definitely, it, de- it definitely seems as if I'm trying to create a segue to the world of technology. It okay. does seem like payments, that yeah. COVID, like everything else, is going to accelerate sure, a massive shift to contactless payments. I was thinking that. I only use contactless payments with my phone now. Although you have to end up touching the stupid screen anyway. They got to do it so it's totally contactless because you always end up having to push the green button. Yeah, And so something. in any case, let's move on to some tech stuff. And there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on. Um, one is the antitrust hearing, which we talked so much about, was postponed to Wednesday because of John Lewis's funeral, a very good reason to do so. Mm-hmm. So we have more time to, we'll have it, we'll be able to digest it, uh, as, as time goes on, as, as on our Thursday show. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I'm disappointed. I think, I think they should have postponed it until they could do it in person. Uh, ah. I don't know. Have you watched any of these remote Zoom hearings? No, I've seen some angry, uh, ones in the middle of, uh, in the middle of, um, you know, that they had city council hearings where people start screaming about masks. But no, I have not. I don't think any of these guys are going to start screaming about masks. But no. We'll yeah, they're just not as they're just not as effective. And yeah, I, I can bet that my, you can bet there's somewhere between a dozen and two dozen well-paid Stratcom officials in what is a set meant to look like. Right. The Zuck in Tim Cook's home. I'll, I'll bet you we should make a gentle person's bet here. I bet in visual shot of the camera for Tim Cook's Zoom call yeah. will be an Auburn <laughs> football helmet. Okay. Because you know, he's right. into college yeah, sports. Because anyone into who's college. into college sports is likable. Trust me, I've had lunch where he goes on about it. And I'm yeah, and then bored. somewhere mm-hmm. in the Zucks will be pictures of him and kids, although maybe for security. They'll just, no, I can't no. imagine how much they're thinking about, how do we make this guy more likable? Yeah. Um, what's his background? Oh, we could do just we could just completely be superficial and talk about what's his background. Yeah. All right. What is what is what is Sundar's background? That's really interesting. I don't know Sundar. I know so I know very little about him. What do you know yeah. about him? What's likable about I've Sundar? I've known him since he was a product manager on Chrome and stuff like that. Uh, he's lovely. He's a lovely guy. Uh, I bet they have a nice. You know, they won't have too many books. They don't want to reveal too much about themselves. Yeah, agree. There might be some nice fruit, some some strong colors and, and vases and stuff like that. It's it's amazing how people have to, to think about this. And then Bezos, it'll just be a pile of money. He'll just be sitting on a pile of money, right? I think just to freak everyone out behind Zuckerberg, (laughs) they should have just 
uh, Atlas Shrugged and like Mein Kampf or something, just <laughs> totally freak everybody out. <laughs> just you had to books. go to Mein Kampf, didn't you? And maybe you like a magazine go. on knitting, something weird, something, something just weird. to really. <laughs> but like Bezos, don't you think a pile of money? He should just be sitting on a pile of money, and his and his and his his current uh, girlfriend should bring in a, a martini every now and again or something like that. <laughs> I do, do like that. I what do, do you think? Like that. I would do something really awful if I was him. Like just he should, totally, yeah, yeah. yeah. They have to be careful. Be. They do. They have to. What do you think they'll wear? He should light a cigar with like a hundred dollar bill or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That would be what I'm just trying to think. Like what what could he oh really? My God, he should have like so a bad a bad car model of like a, a Z2 Corvette, like just a really bad <laughs> midlife crisis car. You know, we should do a um, show just on backgrounds we want tech mo- tech and media moguls to have and stuff. Maybe a brochure, like just for men, hair plugs on his desk. Yeah. Something that doesn't look too obvious. Something crazy, like some yeah. messages. And of course, all the QAnon people will see messages in Jeff Bezos. And stuff. I think a pile of, a chair of money would be very funny and then he lights it on fire at the end. <laughs> uh, or just have Floyd Mayweather in the background. <laughs> just like famous He's hanging people. with Floyd. Floyd like, and Katy Perry. Yeah. Just and singing. like David Hasselhoff. That's who <laughs> he rolls up. with now. Yeah. Yeah. Just whoever he wants to fly in on the jet. Oh my God. Yeah. That would be so good. <laughs> Our, the hearings are already better than they, they, they're going to be. They're already Hello. better with our taking on it. Stuff Hello. like that. And in any case, this this week, sad, Regis Philbin died. Regis what a likable guy, right? Regis? I love Regis Philbin. I, could, I couldn't help myself. I loved him. Yeah. Loved him. So did Olivia de Havilland. She was 104. Gone with <sighs> the wind we talked right? about. She never really commented on all the controversy around it. But Why would you she? You know, you hit yeah. triple digits. You don't have yeah, to put like, up with that you. shit. It's like, fuck whatever, I'm 100. <laughs> Oh, Whatever, yeah. I'm a hundred. Uh, uh, you know, and and it was really, it was it, they, they were both really interesting actors. And uh, Regis Philbin was just a delight. He's one of those delight people. It's sort of like Alex Trebek, who has a book out. We should get Alex Trebek to come on to Pivot. That would be really good. Yep. Yeah. Oh my God, I love him. just a likable man, like a likable, friendly guy. Sort of a lot of you know says dumb things sometimes, but really quite a quite a good. He has the when most. When you say dumb, you mean conservative? I mean he doesn't no, go to the work no, spot. No, he doesn't. He was quite liberal, I think. Yeah. He um he had more television time than anybody in history. I think. I think he was like the most person who had the most. He was on TV shows. He was on all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. He was he was a, your queen. he was on everything and of course Kathy Lee with Kathy Lee and stuff like that. Um, speaking of bad times, and then we'll get to the big stories because we've got Mark Cuban wait, wait, coming just, on. Just, just a quick note about Regis. What? I, I lo- I'm obsessed with obituaries and death, and I know you are as yeah. well. I think uh, Regis. Uh, I mean, in addition to being very likable, brought a couple things that are you know pillars of success. And we, I was trying to think, what can a young person take away from someone's life? He served his country. Yeah, uh, I believe he served in um, the Navy, and he was also known. His reputation, kind of behind the screen or behind the camera, was he was known as the hardest working man in show business. So, yeah. in addition to being would seem like a very likable, decent man, he served his country and he worked his ass off. Yeah, he did. Well into his seventies and eighties, and he if was. you think about success, right, the pillars of success, serving in the agency of something greater than yourself and just showing up and working your ass off. That's a pretty good place to start in terms of uh, success. Yes, indeed. 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 Not everybody has to write best-selling novels or stuff like that. Yeah, he was oh, totally Speaking enjoyable. of which, what? oh my what? God, only what? you. It's announced in some ridiculous NPR yeah. Christian Amanpour thing that you have just recently signed a book deal and what? you went on to say, no, it's a two-book deal. <laughs> I love that. 
I love <laughs> that. It wasn't Christiana Mott. It is. I love it. No, you got it wrong. It's a two-book deal. <laughs> well, they did. They got it wrong. What do you want me to say? The other what? one, I can write about anything I want, and it's going to be about you. It's going to be a total really? tell-all. Really? It's a tell-all of all your horribleness. And you'll be, it'll yeah. be mass. It'll be a fictional book. That's more like know? a pamphlet. My tell-all will be more like a pamphlet. I, it'll, be a, it'll be a fiction. I'll have some horrible name for you and stuff like nice. that. i got to consult my teenagers on that With the one. First, uh, we talked about it. Anyways, a two-book deal. two-book yeah, deal in the middle of the pandemic. So I just got to warn you, writing a book is awful. I've written two, Scott. Uh, Yeah, but you forget what it's like childbirth. The hormone releases such you forget what happened. I've forgotten childbirth and you haven't. Give me a break. I have had a child. Oh, childbirth. Don't don't use the childbirth example. Oh, my God. You've never never had one Okay, first off, first off, men should not be allowed in the room. That I I was so nauseous. What are you, in the 1950s? So sick. Oh, 100%. Give me the baby with a bow in its hair. Let and me let me see say. it. I'm going to be I, fine. I, that was the I'm most gonna, frightening, say. disturbing thing I've ever witnessed in my life. I They were so worried well, about me. Well, try doing it. Try doing oh, it. Oh, my let God. It was awful. Say. Let me try Ugh. actually being in the in the stirrups there. Ugh. Let me just say it was very painful. And the book was fine. I'll be just I was fine. So sick. As usual, you complain about like bounty, like getting a book contract. But I got two. Two. And, uh, and I will be fine. It'll be great. I'm going away this weekend to write the outline. And then that'll be done. And then I'll write. I'll type it out. Type it out, Mr. Type it out. Yeah, anyway, I'm going to check in to see if that outline gets done over the weekend. You know, it's going to. I'm going to my friend's beach house. I'm going to sit there and type. Oh, uh, yeah. You see, I'm going to no, send beach, it to you. That helps. Well, if you're going to a beach house, it'll definitely I'm get done. I'm going to a friend's beach house. Yeah. Beach. Listen, we need to get on to big stories because we got Mark Cuban coming on. All right. Facebook is facing an unprecedented cultural crisis. It's a story that Ryan Mack had on BuzzFeed News. Facebook is hurting People at scale, increasing pressure on Facebook leadership from its own employees over the past month and a half. And Joel Kaplan and Facebook's policy team have inserted themselves into moderation discussions, which we've discussed before. Facebook engineer Dan Abramoff and a lot of people were on the record also talking. The company leadership has betrayed the trust my colleagues and I have placed in them. There was a lot of hot quotes in that piece. So, you know, they're getting some employee unrest. Do you think it matters at all to them there at all? So isn't isn't anyone who works at Facebook, really, shouldn't they run for senator of Maine? Aren't they kind of Senator Susan Collins, where they pretend to give a good goddamn and try and try and pimp the fact they might have a conscience somewhere, but then vote for the president or continue to cash Facebook's checks? Isn't it just isn't it just kind of massive hypocrisy? People leave jobs pretty much every, you know, millions. And I can prove this leave their jobs every day. And that's kind of how you 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 vote with your feet on this. And this notion, these virtual walkouts, these I'm concerned, I just don't, you know, And but cash my check and where are my options struck? So, look, you work there, you're part of it. And I don't think you get to pretend to be concerned about Trump's policies and always line up and back him. I just, you know, if you're at Facebook, you endorse what is the most damaging organization in the world. Your efforts of the majority of your work life are a function of creating tremendous um, agita and threat to the Commonwealth. So, you know, quite yeah. frankly, no one gives a fuck what you think. Um, right. Just right. either either, either leave and then have some credibility around your statements or your concern. But this notion that you can be concerned, I just don't Susan Collins us. You know, you're yeah. there. Yeah. You're cashing their check. You're eating their food. Okay. Um, so anyway, so there, what's your, what are your I call, thoughts? I call Mark, Susan. I think it's a problem. I think they're getting very, un, I think this unsettles Mark quite a bit. Um, I think it unsettles him in a way that other things don't. 
Um, I think he, he does care with the people. He spends a lot of time trying to be like a regular guy there. And I think mm-hmm. one of the guys, one of the people, a lot of guys. Um, and I think that when, when there's significant employee pushback, that's a problem. And where people feel less yeah. proud of working there. And as they, you know, it was interesting though, a lot of really early people came out with that letter a long time ago we talked about. I think it has more, um, it's more significant than the advertisers revolting because he knows they have no choice. In the case of employees, they do have a choice. That's there a, are other that's places a good to work. Yep. Um, and so he knows he's got the advertisers by the, you know what. And so, um, so they, so I think it's big. I think it's, I think it, it unsettles Mark in a way that other things don't. I do think he has an attitude of this too shall pass on everything. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I am the emperor and I shall just be here. So just, I'll wait you all out. I think that's the slow rolling of Facebook is all his. His doing. Uh, what would be interesting is if Facebook, what he do, they do with Joel Kaplan if Biden beats Trump. That'll be he's he was their Republican man on the hill essentially. Well, they have they've kind of gone you know lob effective lobbying is cozying up to one side as much as you can such mm-hmm. that you can have influence, but at the same time not cozying up to them such so much such that yeah. if they lose you get blowback. Yeah. And I wonder if Facebook has crossed that line. I think they Joel think- Kaplan uh, crossed the line the minute he sat behind uh, Brett Kavanaugh at the hearings, the Supreme Court hearings. And they didn't know it, FYI. Just that they didn't know he was going to do it. A little inside baseball, a little, yes, little, little 411. Finally, yes, some of that journalistic access coming oh, through here. Up. You know, I just feel like it was, it was, that was a real mistake on his part. You know, even if he was his friends, he could go meet him backstage. He didn't need to be sitting behind him, uh, given his job. Well, that's one thing. I think at this point they've gone all in on Trump. And again, uh, yeah. the definition of an oligarch is you're, you're leveraging your proximity to power to make money in a corrupt way. And I think essentially that the biggest oligarch in the world is Zuckerberg. And I think he's gone all in on Trump. And I think this, when he comes out and interviews Fauci and is critical yeah, of Fauci. Trump, it's some, it reeks of when Barr said he was concerned reeks. about Trump's comments, where Trump says, wink, yeah. wink, yeah, go ahead and criticize me. So we throw him off the scent. Yeah, I think these exactly. two are absolutely yeah. have, a, have an unholy well, alliance. He's been, he's been trying to say, I have no unholy alliance very loudly, which is interesting. Yeah, I don't know. W- what's your sense? My sense is I, there. I sense that he they have, that they have too much of a Peter Thiel, uh, Joel Kaplan influence. And I think they need to figure out. And Cheryl's tarnished in the eyes of Democrats. She was their Democratic so You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, and I think... When I talk to Democrats, they make faces, you know, they, they sort of sneer around Sheryl Sandberg. So I, and for, you know, I think she's, she has sort of been brought down by them in that regard. Um, and, and the closest to the Trump administration, I don't know. You never know politics. They always turn like, I hate them. And then the next day they're posing up to them. So I, I, you know, I never know. I just know that there's a lot of disdain for Facebook among the Democrats. Um, and I think that'll be problematic. And then at the same time, it depends on how it turns out with the Senate and everything else. They, they do have a friend in Chuck Schumer. I, when I did an interview with him, he was sort His of. His daughter so works at Facebook. Facebook, doesn't it? She does. I, yeah. I think, well, she may have left. I don't. I don't think that has anything to do with it. I think he's very. I think he's quite. Um, uh, I would say ignorant in the ways of tech. I would. I would. I'm being kind. I think he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he often says things I was sort of perplexed by. And so, but he is very pro Facebook. Um, I think mm-hmm. they give him a bit of money. I think they, um, he seems to be more pro Facebook than anybody I've ever encountered up there. Really? Um, yeah, it was a surprise. Go, you should let's go back and listen to that interview, uh, that I did with him many years ago. And I was, I was, I was surprised. I was surprised by his level of his, I don't know, again, it has nothing to do with his daughter. I think it just is him and, and their influence on him, but we'll see. Like, I know Nancy Pelosi is not happy with Facebook for sure. 
because um, she's been, you know, pushed around by them on that drunk video. Well, think about she, the leadership that takes. I mean, if there's anyone who would be inclined to soft pedal or rub Vaseline over the the lens of of hate and attacks on democracy, it would be the individual who represents the district who has gotten tremendous wealth in tax revenue. Yeah. I think Representative Pelosi shows a tremendous amount of integrity yeah. when she says, yeah, maybe I'm your representative, but let's be honest, you're bad for America. Well, she's San Francisco. She's not their actual representative. Which but is, isn't there a new office in San Francisco? Aren't uh, they? they? No, they don't have a very is good- Is it Roe Ro Khanna? What's his name? Is he their guy? Uh, Roe is down. I think, Ro, I think they're in Roe's district. Yeah. I think it's probably- But he's pretty hostile at Facebook, too. I'm just yeah. saying, they, they're not- on the, the, the they're, they're going to have to figure out their democratic scheme if uh, when Biden comes in, and they're maybe hoping, you know, especially if Kamala when Harris Biden is comes in, there. in. I like if, your optimism. I said if I said if, um, I, you know, if Kamala Harris is in there, you're even though she's, you know, there's been a lot of reporting her closeness to the tech people. She's still someone they don't want to tangle with, and the same thing. There'll be a lot of pressure on her to be tough on them, and you know, Elizabeth Warren will certainly be a voice. It just depends on where the election comes out. Depends, and if it's Trump, they're they're golden. They're golden. If it's Trump. Well, not yeah, the rest of us. We'll see. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk to Mark Cuban about the return of basketball. And this is an area you must ask the questions in because I am not good at the sports ball. Okay, Scott, we're back. Big tech firms are schmoozing foreign regulators into not doing their jobs. 30 foreign antitrust officials were wined and dined last year by the Global Antitrust Institute, a part of the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. Basically, don't regulate us and please enjoy this delicious meal. Um, Global Antitrust Institute is funded mostly entirely by big companies and affiliated foundations, including Amazon, Google, Qualcomm. George Mason, I covered it when I was at the Washington Post. They were always doing this kind of thing, like putting up, you know, being very friendly to corporate uh, corporate citizens, as I recall, during this time when they were just getting started uh, trying to attract a bigger level of professor there. And so talk, talk about this, Mr. Academics, in terms of these things that get funded at universities. Do you have an institute, a Scott Galloway Institute of Chipotle, for example? <laughs> That's right. Um, look, it, it's it's we're, uh, universities are not immune from the lure of capitalism and a, a big component of your ability to get tenure is to get research funded. And it's difficult. If you want to know, you know, if you want to know the outcome and the conclusion of research, just find out who's paid for it. Yeah. And in the case of most academic research, it's a lot of times it's funded uh, by nonpartisan sources or the university itself. And so if there is a, a least bad version of peer-reviewed research, you're going to find it typically at universities. But these think tanks, if they're funded by certain you know part you know and, and we have them on the left Kara. we we yeah. fund we fund groups to do research to basically support our you know our our narrative so i don't think this is anything unusual the question is a balance of power and that is in addition to these think tanks there are now more full-time amazon lobbyists making i would bet somewhere yeah. between 400 and 800,000 a right, year than there are sitting us senators there's now over 100 full-time lobbyists from amazon living in dc taking all of these nice women and men to to golf and to dinner and saying, hey, we're just a big fan of your leadership. We'd yeah. like to get involved in your campaign. And by the way, when this whole antitrust stuff comes up, we assume that you're you're for capitalism and you're for consumer, lower consumer prices. 
And this is the danger. But I don't, I think these think tanks, you know, we have them on both I sides. Know. I feel nervous now whenever I, t- I was talking to one today and I was like, oh, where do you get your money? Like, I never had yep. thought this, like, in terms of, it was at a university. And I, I was like, I'm going to have to now check in case I'm, you know, I'm saying something. It sounded reasonable, but it was sort of like, who's paying your bills? And, you know, you do, you know, there was some controversy around some of this COVID testing of where these, these researchers have it. It just feels like a lot of stuff feels, bogus like you don't you know it feels bogus when they're doing this and they're trying to influence but i think many some universities are doing real research others are much more pay for play um and i think that's that's really when i was uh, i just you've inspired or a synapse fired when we're talking about this when i was uh five years into my nyu career they invited me to a meeting where they were talking about doing some research about around financial markets and the impact on ipos and um they invited me to the meeting and there was someone from the NASDAQ and they were willing to fund it, uh, fund this mm-hmm. research and fund even fund the center. And this one of the guys in the meeting, uh, Professor Bruce Buchanan, who I think is one of the clearest blue flame thinking economists in the world, you know, at the end of the meeting said, I'm just not comfortable with the NAS- with taking money from the NASDAQ for research around the financial markets because ultimately we're going to end up saying that, that the NASDAQ is the right, you know, he just wasn't comfortable with private enterprise mm-hmm being injected into academic research. And then the meeting ended and I was like, what the hell are you thinking? We have an opportunity to do great research here. Don't be so pedantic. And as I've thought about it, I'm wrong. And he was right. Yeah. Yeah. You can't help if they're the You just can't help it if they're paying for it. It's like all the smoking ones. It's so much damage like in terms of like the smoking ones that were like cigarettes aren't bad. That went on for a long time. And uh, whatever the whatever the research is, it just seems like if it's cooked, it's cooked. But then, how do you pay for it? Like the university should presumably just pay for it, right? And live and die on the quality of the research. But that's sort of naive, I suspect. Yeah, the, and the majority of it. But anyway, sort of a fifteen-year overdue apology to uh, Professor Buchanan and, and Vice Chancellor Ingo Walter, who felt the same way that this was just this creates too much opportunity for biased research. So. Anyways, net net, and it's a sample size of one, but NYU takes that that role of being a neutral arbiter very seriously. Yeah, and you have these fund. You know, I'm thinking of all the different organizations there. They seem like the like the criminal justice stuff uh, that Barry does, Barry Friedman. It feels like it's really good research, right? You know, and that's the thing. It's like who you have to. They should at least be very clear about who's paying for it, so you know, and and what they might you know turf what what uh, what reports they might put in the drawer, like the government is doing right now. But in any case, we've got to get to this week's friend of Pivot, investor and Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban. Bio is an American entrepreneur, television personality, media proprietor, and investor. Again, he owns the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, he previously founded Microsolutions and Broadcast.com, which is where I ran into him. And of course, he's one of the original sharks on Shark Tank. Mark, welcome to Friend of Pivot. Thanks for having me on, guys. So we're going to talk basketball first. Um, so okay. the NBA is scheduled to resume its season this week. And, you know, Scott yep. and I have talked a lot about the financial impact and stuff like that with the virus spreading rapidly in Florida. How confident are you of the situation? Very confident. I mean, they truly are quarantined. They're in a bubble, literally. Mm-hmm. And so they're safer there than they would be at home. So talk about that. What is the bu- What does that entail? I mean, literally, we took all over Walt Disney World, section of Walt Disney yeah. World, and we basically locked down multiple hotels and um, their arena set up there. And so, you know, it's Hotel California. Once you enter, you cannot leave. You know, okay. and if you're on the outside, you're not getting in. 
All right. What do you feel about how they're doing? They struck a deal with Microsoft to put live videos and hundreds of fans watching the game's courtside yeah. instead of having them live in the audience. What do you think of the virtual audience? I mean, look, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, if it were up to me, I'd work with um, um, TNT, which is now with HBO and, and AT&T, and put in famous people as opposed to just virtual fans. You know, things that something that would be different and corny and fun. But we'll see what happens. This is all an experiment. So what about fans not being there? What? Do, how do you think it'll be in terms yeah, of the You know, the it'll play? be a little bit different, I think, up front. But all these kids are so young. You know, they were playing AAU in front of nobody three years ago. Right. You know, so I don't think, you know, and then they play hard in practice. And so it's it'll be an adjustment, but it's I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as people think. And and will you be there in person for any of the games? Are you going to go? For playoffs, yeah. Once we get to the playoffs, I will. If, so if you the, get to the playoffs. This, when we get to the when, playoffs. Okay, so the, seed, the seeding games, there's only eight of them. Yeah. So, um, and they're every other night. So and because I have to quarantine, I'll get there just in time to quarantine and start the playoffs. All right. Well, one thing is, Scott, I want you to jump in mm-hmm. here. Um, you were talking about the finances of it, what it does to, to the business. Uh, Scott, why don't you? Well, I'm, I'm curious as an, as an owner, I'm fascinated by these asset classes that lose money or break even, but every year grow faster than inflation. It's just these trophy assets. And if you look at the industries that are really getting hit hard, it's ones where you consume the product sitting shoulder to shoulder, whether it's movie theaters or restaurants and sports. And I wonder if, I mean, there's two opposing forces and I'm, I'm interested in which one you think will win. And that is the industry's obviously been, you're not wrecked, but severely impaired by COVID. But at of the course. same time, the top 0.01% who are the buyers of sports teams have actually accreted massive wealth during the pandemic. Do you think the asset prices of football or of professional sports teams goes up, goes down, goes sideways? Where where do you- It goes up. It goes up. It goes up because um, fan revenue as a percentage of total revenue actually has been declining over the Uh years. And if you look at gambling, um, particularly if people are still stuck at home, then gambling- um, revenues as, as states point. open up and they're going to need open to new, they will open up more states because of the need for more revenue. I think um, the values will go up. And talk about that though, gambling that fans will not hmm. be there, but they'll gamble, but because they will in be there words, next year, for example. Look, look what's happening in the stock market. Yeah. Why have we seen all these Robin Hooders, you know, and free traders um, effectively? They're the old day traders from the late 90s. Yep. They're doing it because it's fun, it's, it's entertaining, it's exciting. They're gambling and not because they're doing, you know, in depth research on stocks or, or stock analytics. And the same thing, once a sports pickup and gambling becomes more enabled in different states, I think it'll truly help our valuations. And what about the live element of it? Do you think you were saying fan revenue is down? That you mean like uh, ticket prices and food and? Well, no. It's, I mean, right now we have no fans, right. so it's down to zero right, right now. Right. Um, but it had but been historically prior to that. Yeah, as a to- as a percentage of total revenues has been declining. Like we've rarely the maps have rarely raised our, our ticket prices over the last fifteen years. Uh-huh. Just because we've been able to um, create re- other revenue sources, and I wanted it to um, stay um, affordable for everybody. Have what your about broadcasters the- tried to renegotiate the rights? I mean, it's mostly been about TV revenue, right? It, it, are they? No, not really, because we're we're the last bastion right. of traditional television, right. you know. And so, you know, it's an older. It, it's kind of a catch twenty two in some respects, where the NBA fans are younger, so we're losing some of those cord cutters, and they're consuming the NBA in large volumes, but just not in traditional media. But the good news is we'll be able to change quite a bit because going into the last three years, bandwidth is a relatively constrained um, 
asset, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, the people who played our, our games, cable and satellite, had very constrained, amount, constrained amounts of bandwidth, but that's really changing with compression and particularly with online because, you know, traditional television coming over cable is effectively streaming. It's all digital now. And so there's a lot more fungible bandwidth. And the point there is that we'll be able to do a lot more streams for any one game. Mm -hmm. So I can have a Twitch version. I can have a YouTuber doing um, a presentation of a game. I can have a traditional TV um, version with that you see on TNT or ESPN. There's basically an, an unlimited number of streams that we can present to any game that we could tailor you know, to any given demographic. And as technology progresses and we can integrate all this into the encoded stream, we could effectively personalize down to very micro-targeted groups how they want to receive our games. Meaning watching a certain player or focusing in on it? Or no, it, it might be, you know, Karen Scott might be, you know, the announcers that a certain group of fans want her to have. <laughs> they and don't. So, yeah, but you know what I'm saying, right? Or we could take Ninja, yeah. you know, uh, who's now a free agent and do the Fortnite type of commentary. Right. Or, you know, somebody who's big on Minecraft and trying to reach a younger audience that we otherwise would not be able to reach. Or for the gamblers, we can use AR to do overlays or XR to do virtual reality and AR integration. So, again, with fungible bandwidth and almost an unlimited amount of bandwidth that's becoming available over cable to us, we can do, you know, wherever the technology allows us to go, we can go. And the team type of stuff is just one implementation. So of it. are the other owners on board? Because one of the things you talked about many years ago with me, I remember, is stuff in the seats, like getting more yeah. information, which didn't really go anywhere. Like it didn't. Yeah, it did. It, I mean, it's it, just, did. it was phones. That, yeah, it was just phones that did. Yeah, the phones that did. People were using their phones. But this idea of doing these kind of things, are they open to it? And then who becomes, yeah, oh, absolutely. Who becomes the yeah, big absolutely. players in this? Is It's not, it's the Googles and Amazons, no? Or, or no, I mean, look, potentially you saw what Amazon released in terms of their live streaming product. And so I don't know who will use, but I think really it's a chance to see if AR becomes commonplace. Mm -hmm. You know, so we'll be once you can introduce kind of a virtual studio using AR um, into sports so that, you know, customers can pick their own overlays that right. data they want to receive, then, you know, you're going to see. You know, companies that you don't, you've never heard about, start to really become um, valid and, and valuable. And what about the big, the Amazons and Googles versus the, say, the Murdoch, the, the Foxes, and things like that? How do you look at that playing? At? Two different things. One, one's you know does picks and shovels, and the other you know tries to sell gold. Uh -huh. You know, and so I, I don't think they're really competitive at this point. At this point, and when yeah. you is there a kill switch for the NBA if there's an outbreak or you need to stop yeah, of course. the season? Yeah, safety first. Yeah. yeah, safety first. Like you saw, what, I don't know if you saw what happened with um the the Philadelphia Phillies and the New York Yankees. The Phillies mm -hmm. had an outbreak, uh -huh. and so they had to postpone some games. And so I'm, I'm guessing it'll be effectively be the same. But we have a little bit easier than football and baseball because we truly can work within a bubble. Mm -hmm. They need an outdoor environment for the most part to be able to work. And you can't just set that up in a hotel like we can. Right, in terms of what you're doing. Um, talk a little bit about this idea of, of participatory things where people, audiences, you own, I think, Landmark, is that right? You own, you, or used to, used to. Yeah. but you did sell. And we talked about that last time, the idea of, of pe people gathering. When do you imagine, what is going to happen when it comes back, if it comes back from your perspective? It, it's hard to say quite yet. I mean, look, it all comes down to a vaccine. You know, the, the, the tech geek in me, the science geek in me says we're getting a vaccine sooner than later because we've been able to repli replicate what happens in a human body using AI. And that allows them to test vaccines much more efficiently and quickly. And so I happen to be very positive on the vaccine and that will get them 
Um, and if what we're reading is true about the Department of Defense doing the actual production and distribution, then I think, you know, it happens sooner rather than later. And then, you know, if it's truly um, effective, we go back to relative normalcy um, in terms of our confidence in gathering with, you know, all the changes that we've accepted over the last six months. So, so go ahead, Scott. There's just, I mean, you're just kind of mind that second order effects here. If you think about movies, I, I personally believe we're not going back to movies that the innovation that at some point they're going to decide to just let streamers have James Bond and they'll figure out a pay-per-view. You can see sports. You know, that's a conversation that's been going on forever, right? It's just being accelerated. Yeah, but the question becomes, you know, are you going to let your my 16-year-old daughter go on a date in your basement, you know, or or just in your living room? And, you know, even as all these things were happening, kids were were still going to malls and hanging out in malls just to get away from their parents. But but let's let's come back to sports because I wonder, it seems to me like, the, the audience is basically a feature and attribution. It, it adds to Absolutely. the game that the real, the real draw is just these incredible athletes and what they're able to do and, and the competition. And if you could simulate the audience the same way that broadcast television figured out a way to simulate the audience with a laugh track, you could see that it might. Yeah, I just don't see that happening. Look, if the way. Well, hold on, hold you know, on, hold on. Jesus Christ, F- you're worse than Kara. Stop interrupting me, <laughs> yeah, I know. Same For God's sake. Same so there's a difference in my that. viewpoint. There's just an enormous yeah. difference between hockey and playoff hockey. And might you move to a no hybrid model where you have the, the audience and you have the fans? Because let's be honest, there's just too many seats available across professional sports. And you might move to a simulation like. Uh, laugh track or simulated a simulated fan base during the regular season and then you allow fans on certain games to create that just in that incredible energy and i think about second order effects maybe finally municipalities stop paying these ridiculous fees for stadiums and either, there's just so many second order effects even going all the way back into college like what happens to your farm team when your source of new talent when they can't do in person. I, I'm worried about college sports right now. There's just so many layers upon layers of Scott's what might very happen worried. here. Jump on in, Mark. Jump on in. Yeah, okay. Now, look, some I agree with, some I disagree yep. with. Look, what the NBA does is going to set an example for college, high school, middle school sports yep. and how we deal with it. Again, the vaccine is the underlying principle. But if we say, you know, if we agree that we're going to get a vaccine sometime, you know, in, in the near future, then will people go back to normal? And is it viable? at all to have people in whether it's a movie studio or arena or stadium and to your point the one when i first got to the nba um which is what i was talking about when i rudely interrupted you um, <laughs> when I, what, what, I am so when i first got to, to the nba every, when i first got to the nba everybody thought we sold basketball yeah. I, I tried to get everybody to say what's our product and it's not basketball right it's the experience because if you think about the last sporting events you went to, you don't remember the score, you don't remember the goals, you don't remember right. the goal tending, you know, the dunks or the home runs. You remember who you were with, yep. you know, yep. the first time you went with a parent, friend, whatever, and that's how your stories, you know. And so we go for that energy when you walk into the arena. And I think that's enough of a selling point mm-hmm. that as long as there's not a fear of getting sick, then we'll return to that. In terms of trying to replicate it, that's going to be very difficult. I mean, look, I've I've done a lot. I have a patent in virtual reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done a lot with virtual reality um, in terms of trying to recreate things. And it's just, you know, you get that initial sense and it's really cool. And yep. 
you know, but just trying to recreate motion yeah. in virtual reality, it's going to be a while before we have the processing speed yeah. available to a device to really make that effective. And you still don't get quite that that group feeling with avatars or even if you're able to truly recreate it. And so I think co- the, the cost effectiveness of going to an arena for fans is going to be such an overwhelming value cr- relative to the alternatives that I think if we can do it, you know, safely, then people will come back. All right. Now, let me ask you, how do you think the other sports are doing in terms of versus basketball? This idea of being by, is it just basketball special that you can really put people in bubbles or, or how, how do you think they've conducted football? So a couple things there. One, we're fortunate. We only have 15 players per team. Yeah. And hmm. that makes it far simpler than 25. Oh, or I think hockey's 23 yeah. and basketball and football's 53. Um, and so that's one difficult factor. And plus, in terms of um, incremental staff, when you have the more people you have, the more training staff you need, the more equipment managers you need, um, the more you know yeah. support staff you need. And so, so the the downstream effects, as, as Scott um, referenced, are just significant there as well. And then just how you play the game. Yes, you can play football and baseball indoors, but the size of, of the um, space needed is ginormous, mm-hmm. right? Whereas with basketball, you know, literally, if you've got a ballroom in a hotel with a high enough ceiling, you can play basketball. Right. And that's effectively what we're doing for a lot of our training. And, and you know, we've done for training facilities just for the Mavs and other teams as well. So it's far easier for us to create, you know, hockey's got ice and, you know, there's just so many other complications. So I think, you know, for us, Basketball is probably the easiest to open. Soccer is probably the second easiest. All right. And look, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about your your little Twitter situation with Ted Cruz around kneeling. Uh, very uh-huh. well done. Talk a little bit about that. You said there's a difference between Black Lives Matter and kneeling at a game. Can you explain what you meant by that? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I mean, my dad fought in two wars, Navy. My uncle was Air Force. You know, he, he was always very clear that it's not about symbolism, it's about what it means mm-hmm. and, and what it stands for and what it means to you. And, you know, this is very um, personal and how a player chooses to reflect what this country, what the anthem, what the flag means to them is up to them. You know, Do I, your co-owners agree with been, you? I don't care. Well, I'm, I'm asking you as a question <laughs> you know, if someone who hangs out yeah, with you. I just don't know. I don't know. Uh, you know, people think we I think you know, we have, I don't you know, think we, they agree with you, and I think you know they don't No, I mean, I literally don't know. I don't talk to them about much of anything. Mm-hmm. We have board meetings like any other board. I mean, we're, we're governors, you know, uh, in, on in the same business, but it's no different than board membership mm-hmm. for, for any company. It's not like we're best yep. friends. Yeah. And and do you, you, you it's shifted rather in in that direction though in the kneeling direction people mm-hmm. seem to have yeah I mean look we over time people's positions change mm-hmm. you know minds change minds evolve as you get more exposure and experience yep. and it becomes more personal to the people around you you know even at our ripe old age you know we're still capable of yep. learning and adapting and and I think that's what's happened. I have one more question. Scott, I have one more. You, on, the, on the broader scheme, when we talked about America 2.0 and where it's going to come out, are you, where are you right now? Are you um, optimistic or, or, yeah. or, or and what is your biggest worry if you're optimistic? Because I think you probably are optimistic. Yeah, I am optimistic. I mean, you know, I, I, I do, we're, we're going through an amazing economic experiment right mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, is this the first step of, you know, modern monetary theory and we're learning that it works or learning that it doesn't work? You know, we really don't know yet, but 
the fact that we're able to experiment on this in this manner and nothing's collapsed yet. You know, we're we're moving forward and here we are getting ready to do another stimulus. And, you know, the first stimulus worked, you know, incomes actually went up. And the only real mistake we made is that it wasn't use it or lose it. And which caused um, savings, the savings rate to go up significantly and left a lot of people in, in um a lot of businesses in a state of suspended animation. The question becomes, what's acceptable creative uh, destruction, right? So when you look at the restaurant industry, I I mean, the pain is enormous and incredible, but people still are finding other ways to eat, Mm -hmm. you know? And so do you prop them up or have have habits changed? So even if you prop them up, they're still going to have challenges, right? Because are we finding new and better ways to eat? So the only uncertainty, you know, the two major uncertainties are, do, does MMT work, which leads to huge optimism because, you know, if we get to a, dem, you know, if we get a Joe Biden presidency, then the, the fear factor is, do they stay dogmatic on economic theory? That's always fitted, you know, the Democrats, or if we stay, God help us, if we stay with Trump, you know, what do they do? Or do we say, let's learn from just happen, put all dogma aside, and let's keep on trying MMT? Right. Because that could have the potential greatest impact on this country and the world. And then part two to that is, you know, for each individual industry, what you know, no one wants to allow companies to fail. But do we have to allow some companies to fail? Because there's a difference between something being essential and unreplaceable. Right. Versus something that we always deemed essential, but has been replaced by alternatives because those bits, when you shift to one industry, you're taking away from the other industry that's benefited from the creative destruction. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, you know me, Kara, I'm always looking towards disruption as an opportunity. You also sound like Scott a lot. Well, we let let the expos (laughs) fail. I mean, but we're not going to let United Airlines fail. It's this is part of capitalism. I I have just so many questions, but I'm going to rifle through two or three and you give me quick answers. Sure. Far away. Your assumption is that we're back to normal when there's a vaccine. What happens when 50% of the people entering your your stadium refuse to take a vaccine? Two, I want you to talk a little bit about whether or not you think this confluence of stimulus, bored young men and gambling and online trading platforms, specifically Robinhood, if you think that leads to some unintended consequences or something negative. And then where do you want to be in five years? You obviously have thoughtful viewpoints. It strikes me that owning a a sports team gives you a platform, but not a great deal of influence outside of that domain. Where would you like to be in five years? So, so number one, um, I haven't. We don't know yet. We'll have to see how people um, adjust to the vaccine. Um, my guess is it'll come in waves, and and we may have to delay the season a little bit longer than we otherwise mm-hmm. would have. You know, but um, I, I, I'm hopeful there. Two, um, in terms of where, let me go three, um, because I forgot to. Number three, in terms of um, where I'll be in five years, I I just want to have an impact. You know, I've made enough money now. so Senator Cuban? Running for no, president? No, no chance I'd run for senator. Yeah. Oh, come on, We'll boss. see what happens with the Your next president. Your balls are bigger we'll than that. Where do you want to be in five years? <laughs> I want to be having an impact, yeah. right? Yeah. Being the president doesn't mean you're necessarily in a position to have the greatest impact. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you look at the investments that I've made, literally almost every single one of them has some sort of impact, you know, whether it's drugs, whether it's healthcare, or whether wherever I can. Oh, and your second question was the unintended consequences of having all these, particularly men, young men, just spending, you know, all this um, stimulus money and any any funding that they're mm-hmm. getting and gambling it. 
you know, we saw that in the late mm-hmm. 90s where everywhere you turned, people were making money on the stock market. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and everybody, I still, I showed, I even tweeted at one point, you know, there was that old Steward commercial with E-Trade, let's light this candle, mm-hmm. which always right. cracked me up. Yeah. And, it's worse um, on Robinhood. Have you been on Robinhood? Yeah, it's, it's far worse. But remember, Scott, everybody's a genius in the bull yep. market. And, and then as I look at what's happening now, even if my old portfolio, which is still primarily Netflix and Amazon, you have, I, I keep on reminding myself that when broadcast.com was public, one day we were up 50, the next day we were down 30. Mm-hmm. And that went on for multiple years. And so here we are just a few months in. And so I don't think we can really say this is a net negative or net positive. It really depends on how long this goes. And look, QE, you know, and the implementation of of what the Fed has done is effectively UBI for rich people and UBI for gamblers, you know, and that's what's happening right now. And so as long as this Fed money is sustaining um, the the market and particularly these conversations about buying actual stocks themselves, which I'm not a fan of, then all, you're going to see more and more and more people day trading. And I had my 18 year old niece ask me, you know, which stocks I should buy, she should buy, because some of her friends were making 30 percent a day. She said, and and I was like, look, you know, you're gambling as long as you know well. nobody sells. Yeah, it, but we don't know when that ending yeah. is, right? This is definitely a musical chairs market. Yeah. We just don't know when the, stop, the the music stops. Mark, you came back to tell us what the most important topic you think we didn't ask you about. Please go on. Okay, so pick any technology that you think is integral and, and critical to our future. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them has semiconductors as an underpinning. Mm-hmm. And Intel effectively is our last domestic manufacturer. They're not the mm-hmm. best at it, but they're there, right? They came out, their CEO the other day came out and, and their earnings call and said they'd have to consider going non, going fabulous, meaning somebody else would manufacture yeah. it, which means that's probably going to be made by Taiwan Semiconductor. Mm-hmm. Could you think of anything scarier than having zero domestic chip manufacturing? Literally, you sound, you sound like a you sound like Peter Navarro. Why wouldn't we outsource manufacturing there like everywhere else? Well, in this particular case, it's critical to our military and our economic mm-hmm. future. I'm with mm-hmm. Mark on this one. That's mm-hmm. an excellent prediction from and Mark so, Cuban. Okay, what? so but but what do you what do you what do you? I mean, we've we've offshored almost so, uh, offshored so over almost everything. What do you do? We we need to have a policy of investment. Um, strategic investment in this country, yeah. right? We do it with the NIH. If you look at small drug molecules, small molecule drugs, rather, um, I think there was a report written by 46, re- 46 Research, I think they're called, that said 90%, give or take, of our small molecule drugs were created effectively out of the NIH. Mm-hmm. And we we need to do more of that for drugs, but we also need to start recognizing that the, there are core competencies we need to have as a country because, you know, there's there's no uncertainty that if we don't continue to be the leader in AI, we're going to struggle. If we're not the leader in quantum, we're going to struggle. If we don't become a, a presence, at least in robotics, we're going to struggle economically. If we don't if we don't have the ability to manufacture domestically, <laughs> the shit could hit the fan really, really quickly. Well, we're seeing that with cotton swabs in our response to testing, right? Well, exactly. We don't make right. anything anymore. Yeah. And those those are um, anecdotal in a lot of respects, right? In that we don't make things and we just, that, that again was a planning and strategy. But when it comes to something as strategic as mm-hmm. technology and not having a core component, I mean, that, that's true. I, I think you're right. President Mark Cuban, everybody.
I have a last question. The hearings are on thir- or Wednesday now. They've been postponed. The tech hearings. Any you 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 and I had going back, but you don't think it matters until after the election. Any of this? Yeah, because yeah, it, I think it's kind of a waste of time. But it, it's a great question. You know what what's the responsibility of government as it applies to these companies? And it's really hard because it's a balancing act when we don't have a national policy, when a true national policy when it comes to technology. We really don't have an investment theme when it comes to technology. We have to recognize that those companies we're looking at regulating really are our our technology strategy when it comes to AI and future technologies. Mm-hmm. And by breaking them up, we should we could be cutting off our nose to spite our face. So what would you, you know? do if you were a senator? I mean, Congressman. So what I would be proposing is I take a page out of Rock, Roger McNamee's book when he said that you know I would I would end the Section 230 um, protections. For any time neural networks or AI is used to amplify any message, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter if it's political or otherwise. If, if it's um, organic traffic that comes from somebody sharing it, fine. It has 230 protections. If you use any type of AI at all to say, okay, we're showing – it's basically what TikTok does, right, best. Mm-hmm. What TikTok's the best at – if that's used at all, um, and Facebook is second best at, then there are no 230 protections. And I think that'll change their behavior. And, you know, there's there's an argument to be made that even with Citizens United, you could you could undercut Citizens United by just saying no political advertising in any of these. And, you know, if the House and the Senate can pass that, I wouldn't be opposed to it. All right. That's really interesting. We, now, well, last question I have. that We were talking about the backgrounds we think they should all have because it's going to be on Zoom. And we felt Jeff Bezos should be on a pile of money or a chair of money. <laughs> Thoughts? I think he should have National Enquirer um, uh, front page behind him. Oh, nice. Oh, well, yeah. so what about Zuckerberg? Amateur about photography. Zuckerberg? Um, I think him Sound jumping block. over a shark. Jumping over a shark. <laughs> him jumping over a shark. And then Tim and Sundar will be quiet in the background. Yeah, right? they could be quiet in the background. All right. Mark, as usual, you're a delight. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Good luck, good luck. with the, with thanks, the season. Thanks, guys. Okay. All right. Bye. Appreciate it. Bye. All right, Scott, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. All right, Scott, we're back with wins and fails. And the Mark just had a fail, which was the Intel. I think that was a really smart one. Uh, but I would, uh, I, I, may I start with my, mm-hmm. my, my fail was, of course, Sinclair Broadcasting, the owner of 300 plus local TV stations. Uh, was uh, uh, planning to air a segment on Sunday pushing the false and idiotic conspiracy theory in Plandemic, which suggests that Anthony Fauci helped create the coronavirus. They pulled it at the last minute and says they'll rework it. Uh, just Sinclair is a dangerous. There's other uh, there's other local TV stations like Gray and others that are trying to do news and things like that. But this is just really it shows you the power of local television. Uh, so that is my uh, my fail. Hmm. What's your win? Oh, let me think about a win. You start with okay. your fails. Um, you have a win, I know, which is great. Really? I don't. I don't know. Apple I don't know. giving the voting. The voting. Oh yeah, I, I wasn't going to use that. Actually, Hearst. Okay. The one that doesn't get the credit for that is Hearst has been giving people the day off for a long time on yeah. election day. But anyways, I think it's a great thing. The the my I have a couple fails. I think um, we've been talking a lot about cancel culture, and we've been talking speaking about it through the lens of the far left or if you don't sign up for an orthodoxy people feel unsafe yeah. and go after your profession and your person as opposed to the evidence and the argument around interrogating the truth and we're seeing a 
now on the far right, where Representative Cheney, who yeah. I do not agree with her politics, but she she defended Fauci. And of course, Senator Rand Paul said that she's bad for America rather than focusing on her. You know, she votes for the president 97 percent of the time. But if she doesn't vote with him 100 percent of the time and signed up to the narrative, she's bad for America. And I just think this is so dangerous. If there's any legislative body, the whole idea of legislation and a the, these <laughs> These bodies, Agreed. they're supposed to discuss and debate. They're not supposed to go after each other's patriotism. Well, Trump is culty. You know, it's a cult well, right now. It'll be interesting Senator, what's going to happen if Senator Paul loses. doesn't need to pull that bullshit. Well, and my other my other back. loss I have, too, is there's been, uh, there's so many unintended consequences, and it goes back to what we were, uh, we were talking about with Mark. Uh, a lot of college sports, uh, universities are obviously under tremendous financial pressure, and they've slowly but surely announced the elimination of a lot of what I'll call non glamour, non-revenue base sports. I wrote crew at mm-hmm. UCLA and crew programs, diving programs, water yep. polo, field hockey, all these programs all over the world, all over the United States are being canceled. And they don't, I'm fascinated with this notion of soft power. Uh, our brand, America is the strongest, that is the strongest brand in the world. And it, yeah. And even if 98% of people never come in contact with an American or come to America, they're more inclined to root for us. They're more inclined to let their Amazing yeah. daughter who has a degree in engineering moved to the U.S. They're more inclined not to help our adverti- our adversaries because of our brand. And one of the biggest sources of soft power post-World War II has been the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see a serious decline in our medal count because a lot of these non-glamour sports, whether it's diving, where America has just dominated because of these incredible sports programs, in addition to the medal count, the grit the camaraderie, the discipline that's formed at, you know, in these colleges around college sports amongst people who will never make a living at it. It's really, it's one of, again, it's one of these second and third order effects because of our incompetent handling of the coronavirus yes. that will diminish our world, our, our standing, our standing in the world. That is a good one. That's a very good one. Um, and my win, of course, is, uh, I just thought AOC's response AOC. uh, to uh, Representative, was it Yoho, YOLO? I don't know. Uh, calling her a fucking bitch. I just thought Yo-yo. it was a master class and how to have a dignified response and not not come across as a victim, but to say there's there's something bigger and more important she's, going on here. She's going places. And that is that is you know, these these aggressions against women, these misogyny that permeates every part of our economy and our culture, you know, it 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 it, it it sets us back. It gets in the mm-hmm. way of uh, of our greatness. And also just, what the, I thought the most powerful moment was, look, just because you have a wife doesn't mean you're a misogynist, not a right. misogynist. Just because you have daughters doesn't mean you're vulgar and you're not, you don't promote in, in a weird way violence against women. And people have to stop standing up and giving these non-apology apologies where they reference the fact that they have a wife and daughters that doesn't yeah, that doesn't daughter. mean that doesn't mean yeah. anything yeah, does, it does but not. i thought that i thought her response was so i thought okay how old i remember thinking how old do i want my boys to see before or be or how old should they be before they see that because i think it's so important for boys and young men to understand yeah. Uh, what went on here, and not only that, just what kind of like grace and effectiveness. I mean, this guy was leaving Congress. Little did he know he was going to be the doormat for her to wipe her feet. 
yep. before he left. I mean, he yeah. just absolutely. Yeah, he's a dinosaur. She he's just, a, just he's, I mean, he looks oh like a dinosaur. God. He's a she dinosaur. The guy. He's a just dinosaur. Absolutely schooled the guy. So anyways, my my win, son's very moved by her. But I think everybody, women should also look at how she did that. You know what I mean? Like it was really master class. Master class. It was beautifully rendered. Let us it was beautifully written. It was beautifully said. Yeah, it was her, perfectly. And also, let's be honest, her staff probably had a lot to do with that. Uh, I don't, they are whoever. Very good. got her voice. It doesn't really matter, you know. Very uh, good. Wow. That I agree with you. I agree with you on that one. That would have been mine. My win uh, is, well, we're going to talk about this next week, GPT-3. It's the new AI language model from OpenAI. Elon Musk is affiliated what? with many You're others. flexing something. What was that? To me. Listen, they have read every word published on the internet to date. It means it can take a piece of writing or code and generate what comes next. And they did it for me, for one of my columns, my power, tech power column about this week's hearings. And so they had the beginning of the of the of the story, which was talking about how Tucker Carlson and Hannity got into a fight about whether Jeff Bezos should be as rich as he is, this one-day spike of $13 billion. And they wrote my piece, and then they added on these three paragraphs, which I think are just brilliant from GPT-3, which it terrifies me nonetheless. Mr. Carlson went on to point out that Mr. Bezos personally owns the Washington Post and is a left-wing influencer. If you own a monopoly and use it to enrich yourself further, you are an economic moocher, he said. You're no better than Bernie Madoff's of the world. Well, that's true that the EPA has been more lax than past administrations in enforcing environmental rules that affect Amazon. That's not to say people don't want to give money, more of the money, give the company more of their money for its services. Mr. Hannity seemed to agree, but his position was that Mr. Bezos should have shared the wealth with Mr. Hannity. That was the column they came up with. I loved it. It Well, I was going to say that's the most eloquent thing you've ever written, but that's not you, right? That wasn't you? The last part. No. But let me just say, I like AI Kara. I like, I, she's really a pain in That's the ass. That's a shocker. I like like <laughs> you AI. like AI Kara. Yeah, it's a shocker. You're so jealous. You're so jealous. You know jealous. what? Oh, by the you're way, je- quick shout you're out. You're still Joanna. jealous of my two books, right? Is I that said, correct? I said I was out in Montauk doing my failed right. silent retreat, and Joanna Coles listened to our podcast, and she yeah. invited me over, and I met her lovely sons and family last night. So this is getting, this is improving my social life. I actually wow. have a Did friend Did she tell now. you anything about the Hearst situation? We haven't gotten into that yet. She should have been the, that job that Toby Young guy. You think? She's doing oh, bigger yeah. things. She's doing TV shows. I know, but I'm sure she knows all where all those bodies are buried in any case. I agree she's doing other things, but she deserved that job over the person they gave it to, who's now had to quit. And I think I think Ben Smith's doing a very nice job explaining why. Anyway, uh, before we go, we have a special request for Friday's listener mail. We want your reactions to and questions about Wednesday's big tech hearing, assuming it happens. So watch and read about the hearings and then email us at pivot at voxmedia.com. We're taping the show Thursday morning, so please email, email us no later than Wednesday night. We will have our own thoughts. We'd like to hear yours to have the best chances of getting your question answered. That's pivot at voxmedia.com. You can also uh, t- tweet at us at pivot school. Uh, and we'll look at those too. Don't forget, if you can't get enough Pivot, we're doing a live stream events for the month of August. It's called Pivot Schooled from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. You can get tickets at, we've got a lot of people coming. We want a lot more. Uh, we want to, we want to have a lovely audience for this. You get tickets at pivotschooled.com. There's also a link in our show notes. Sir, sir, Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Galloway, will you lead us out, Professor Galloway? Uh, that was elegant. You forgot my name. Uh, today's episode was produced by Eric Johnson. Our executive producer is Eric Anderson. Special thanks to Fernando Finate and uh, also to Drew Bros. If you like what you heard, 
please download or subscribe. Register for Pivot School. Literally, uh, Kara's going through her phone and inviting everybody. We have 2,000 people registered so far. It's going to be fantastic. Maybe even a Zoom bombing for Mark Cuban. Have a wonderful week. It is it is great to be in the, the throes of summer. Uh, let's start educating people that if and when there is the vaccine, that this is a wonderful expression of citizenship to encourage people to get ready for an opportunity to engage in what has been one of the great victories of our humanity, and that is vaccines. So, Kara, uh, let's start talking about the excitement and how we should all sign yes. up for that and, and, and get our sleeves rolled up and have a great week. We'll go everybody. together. You and there I will go. go together. All there right. There you go.